I'd like you to stand to your feet. We're going to read the whole chapter. I'll read it, and I'll tell you when to join me, okay? Chapter 21. It's a little lengthy, but just can't skip this. Let's stand in honor of the Word of God, and I'll call on you to join me at a certain point. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Galilee, of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And, then, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast, the, they cast and now they were unable to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. And then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So join me on verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Let me finish the reading. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? 
This is a disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there were also many other things that Jesus did, which, if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. There were seven signs recorded in the book of John. But that's not all the miracles that Jesus did. There were so many that they weren't, they could not all be recorded. Father, add your blessing to the preaching and teaching of your word as we wrap up this book this morning. And I pray, Father, for a great impact from this final chapter. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I heard somebody say, or at least I read it as a quote, they said this, how odd of God that he would choose the Jews. They were not a people group. They were the descendants of one man and his wife, Abraham and Sarah. They were, Abraham and Sarah, idolaters from Ur of the Chaldeans. Read pre-Babylonians, that is. So, so many blessings they received throughout their history, the children of Abraham, and so many failures and disobediences. They failed miserably, but God still brought the Messiah through them. Isn't it amazing that the purposes and determined foreordination of God cannot be stopped even by people who fail? Aren't you glad our salvation in eternity doesn't depend upon our performance? but rather on the performance of Jesus. God chooses and uses all kinds of people that are not quite exemplary. Jacob was the scheming trickster. Jephthah was a man who made a rash vow that cost his daughter his life. King David, have you heard of him? How about Bathsheba? Solomon, he had a thousand wives and women. It's amazing who God does choose and use in the Old Testament. But how about the New Testament? We have spent 56 weeks going through the John's gospel. And as we did, we cross-referenced with many of the other gospels. And what did we find? We find that God chose people from the very first who were sinners. Are you aware that the only people God ever chooses for anything are sinners? In fact, only sinners can be saved. People who don't admit they're sinners and that they have a need, can never be saved. Our passage today mentions seven men who went to Galilee to wait for Jesus. He had instructed them that way himself and also through Mary Magdalene, go wait for him there. And so who were these? Well, Peter was there, but I'm going to leave him for a minute. Thomas, we talked about him. Uh, there were those, uh, uh, Thomas was there and he had had his faith reaffirmed by Jesus there through the scars in his hands and his side and became a great witness and powerful witness later. But Thomas, James and John were there. They're going to be mightily used of Jesus in the future. But to be honest, they had their moments. They were thunderous in their personality to the point that Jesus named them Boangernes, which means the sons of thunder. And one time in a Samaritan city, these men, James and John, because the people refused to house them, the Samaritans refused to house them, their retort to Jesus was, well, why don't you just let us call down fire from heaven like Elijah did since we're close to where he lived and let us just consume these people. <laughs> and uh, this is the kind of people they were. On a couple of other occasions, James and John asked for special privileges. Even as Jesus was talking of his crucifixion, they asked, can one of us sit on one side and one of us sit on the other in your kingdom? Because we really would like places of tremendous prominence. There was Nathaniel. He was there and mentioned. He witnessed all of Jesus' miracles, his signs and his wonders. Two other people unnamed were there. I don't know who they were. And there would have been four more. I don't know where they were. They were all told to meet them in Galilee, but somehow they they didn't make it. But the focus of the, past, of the passage that we just read is Peter. 
He is impetuous Peter. Peter who was first to speak, first to act, first to attack, first one to step out of the boat on the water and the first to sink, first to try to correct Jesus concerning his, his prediction of his impending death. Jesus said to him when he said that, Peter, you get behind me because you're acting like Satan. He was the first to deny Christ and he did it three times. And then he was the first to go into the empty tomb. But here we are, post-resurrection. Let's everybody make sure we understand that because when we come to chapter 21, we've had, this is the third confirmation. They've already had two visits by Jesus to the upper room. The women have all given evidence that he is alive. The tomb is empty. The temple is in an uproar. The Roman officials are trying to figure out what's going on, looking who to blame. And this is post-resurrection. Uh, they have seen the living Christ. He has even said in John, look, I, I want you to receive the Holy Spirit that he's going to come on you and you're going to do great things in the future. So this is, this is when they had all the facts. Jesus is now alive. Here he is post-resurrection waiting at Galilee for the Lord to show up. And he then, Peter, the leader, Peter, the leader, the number one apostle is the first to go back to his old life. We are called to be disciples, all of us. And Jesus calls us to follow him. And if we do, he's going to make something out of us. He simply said, follow me and I'll make you into something. Well, it takes a whole lot of pressure off of us if we understand that we're not going to make ourselves into something. Peter wasn't going to make himself into anything. Jesus is going to make us into something. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said to the people, come to me, learn of me, be like me, and I'll give you rest. Jesus also said that he was uh, going to be leaving the world in chapter 28, 18 to 20. And he told these people, I want you to go everywhere and make more disciples that was the mission. That was the calling. And do you know what? When it comes to disciples and it comes to making disciples, it takes one to make one. You know, outside our wall of this building out here, we have a mission statement that says we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ across the street and around the world. It's an unchanging mission. It's direct from the scriptures. It's what God has called us to do, but it takes a disciple to make a disciple. You can't make a disciple unless you are a disciple, and you can't lead anyone to a place that you've never been, and you can't introduce people to someone you don't know yourself because it takes one to make one. I'm stuck on this point. This is how the book of John opened. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Go to any one of the gospels, and this was the invitation. What Jesus said to every one of them was, yes, I'm going to give you eternal life, but his words were, follow me. And three times he said, I'm going to make, some, make something out of you. I'm going to make you disciplers, fishers of men. You know, it's the chief responsibility we have as believers in the world, and it's what Peter's chief responsibility was. And sometimes we get off track. Now, there are two Bible greats, and I'm going to get right back to this now in just a minute, but before we get into Peter and how he had to be recommissioned, I want to think with you for a moment about two Bible greats. Would you put those up on the screen there, if you would? The first one is the Great Commandment, and the second one is the Great Commission. There are two Bible greats. Now, I think there's a phrase. Is it also up there? Do you have the phrase? There it is. A great commitment to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission will build a great church. 
that is a statement that I want you to just begin to dwell on in your heart. You know, we're talking about this transition year and what's happening with Grace Church in the future and all of the things that are going on. And I just want to make a statement this morning that if this church or any church can get a hold of those two Bible greats and get a hold of that statement right there by making a commitment. And we live in a time when people don't like to make commitments. They don't like to just be committed and say, I'll do this and I'll do that. I'll be here. I'll be there. You can count on me. We don't want to do it. But I'm, I want to say that Grace Church's future depends upon whether we decide to make a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. Because the great commandment has to do with loving God and loving people. It really does. Loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and loving other people as yourself. How many of you think the great commandment is important? Say amen. Amen. And then the great commission, which has to do with making disciples of other people who will also love Jesus with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength, the great commandment and the great commission. We're going to do a little exercise this morning. Would you just stand up right where you are? Everybody stand up and I want you to help me. I would like this section right here to read that with me and you guys listen to them. Everybody over here, you even got your added wing over here on this side, all right? So this section, I'd like you to read that with me with a good strong voice. Ready? A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will build a great church. How many of you believe that's true? All right, let's see if you believe it. Ready? This section over here. Say it with me. Ready? A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will build a great church. How many of you believe that's true? Say amen. amen. All right, how about we do it all together? And I want, I want you to say it with, with, like you really mean it. Ready? A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will build a great church. That's kind of anemic. I want you to say it like you really mean it this time. Say it with all of your heart. Let's say it together. Ready? A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will build a great church. If you want to build a great church, then be committed. How many of you believe in being committed? Say amen. amen. Peter had a problem. At the end, after the resurrection, he was tempted to go right back to his old life. Would you be seated? A great commitment. Do you ever get bogged down in doing this? Do you ever get sidetracked? Do you ever find yourself claiming to be a follower of Jesus, but you're doing so in such a way that it's hard to detect? Do you sometimes even find yourself asking, is this really true? Is there really a God? Do you ever in your moments alone when things just don't seem to make a lot of sense, is there really a God that made everything and am I responsible to him? Maybe the world has got it right, you might think, in weak moments, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Have you ever really been ready to just chuck it all and do your own thing? Peter did. And he hadn't been waiting but just a few days on Jesus. You know, I love this fact. I love that God gives second chances. And what we have here in this story is Jesus who always chases us down. You know, no matter where you are in your Christian walk and whether you failed or not before, I want you to know that God is not finished with you yet. And Jesus is always going to seek you out. If you know him and if you've committed to be a follower and you make commitments in your life, then he's not going to leave you alone. I found myself from time to time following Jesus, but at a distance. Following Jesus, but doing so without very much fruit. Time and again, I've been discouraged like these two men that we read about uh, that were on the, road to, on the road to Emmaus after Jesus' death. They're walking alone by themselves, walking away from the fellowship of believers, ready to go off and moan and mope because of the problems in their life. Have you ever been there? 
Have you really been ready to just go back and do what comes naturally? You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. That means we don't go back and do, be who we were before and do what we did before and just give in to what the old life was. Maybe you're here today and your heart has just grown cold. Maybe the things of God aren't as sweet as they used to be. Well, Maybe there isn't a hot burning love for the Lord, his house, his word, and his people like there used to be. Maybe even your church attendance has become dull and toilsome and you wonder, what am I doing here? Well, what a delight. What should be a delight has become duty and drudgery. Well, maybe you've just stopped. Maybe you're going through the motions, but your heart isn't in it. Isn't in it. Like Isaiah said, we're giving lip service, but the heart's not there. Maybe we don't really are, are not interested in praying, sharing, caring. Well, I want to talk to you right where you are because this is how the book of John ends. It's so amazing to me. I mean, chapter 20, the resurrection and all the glorious appearances of Jesus and all these amazing, all of the, all of the things that were planned came true. And it's just incredibly, what a moment he's alive from the dead. But even with that experience, first person, <laughs> it's easy to go back to your old life. I want to talk to you. You're a disciple, but sometimes your influence fades. You're a disciple, but sometimes your joy is nearly gone. Let me encourage you with what Jesus did with Peter. The first thing I'd like us to see in the passage is, is that sometimes we fail. You've got a sheet, you can write a few things down. Sometimes we fail. We'd like to get it right all the time. The person who's never failed at anything hasn't tried anything. Because, uh, you know, if you're 100% success all the time, then you've either tried very few things or you're not telling the truth. Sometimes we fail. How many of you ever had a failure or two in your life? Raise your, raise your hand up. All right. Well, we might fail because we're in the wrong place. And I'm dancing through the Gospels now, but just let me just say this. Matthew 26, 58 is one of the examples where Peter was in the wrong place. Those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and he sat with the servants to see the end. And I wonder, have you ever been there? You're following Jesus, but from a distance. Don't want to be too close identified with him. Don't want to be known as one of his followers. Maybe it's a workplace. Maybe it's a neighborhood. Maybe it's among your associates. Yeah, you know him personally, but do other people know it? There's something about you that people can tell, but you're no longer by Jesus' side, no longer talking about him, no longer standing up for him. Instead of staying as close to the Lord as we should, we begin to follow him afar off. It may begin as simply, simply missing a few services at church, or maybe you just stop praying like you should. Maybe the Bible isn't open and read as frequently as it ought to be. And wherever and however it begins, it will eventually lead to the same place, and that is discouragement first, separation second, and finally lost effectiveness for the kingdom of God. And so we might be in the wrong place. We are certainly in a lot of pain. There's no getting around it. When we begin to distance ourselves from God, his word, his worship, and his work, we're going to suffer for it. We can choose to do it, but we can't do it without painful consequences. I hear this all the time. Being a Christian is really hard. Living the Christian life is really hard. Proverbs 13, 15 says the way of the unfaithful is hard. 
Luke 15, 11, the prodigal found that when he went to a far country distant from his father and his family and responsibilities, he didn't find freedom and carefree life. He thought he would. He found himself in a pig pen and suffering for it and he wishing that he could just get home, getting back. We're in the wrong place, going through a lot of pain. We might be paying a heavy price. Matthew 26, 75, Peter remembered the words of Jesus who said to him, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. So he went out and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. You know, sometimes the people that start off the strongest and make the boldest decisions for Christ find themselves following at a distance. They say things like Peter did. Now, I'll never leave you. I'll die for you. But before he was reclaimed, he denied him three times. He sat with the soldiers and he began to curse. He knew the language and the lifestyle. He knew what it was to be a fisherman. He was learning what it was to be a fisherman of men, but he was at a distance and bitter tears and heart sick hurt are the results of walking away from the Lord. It's inevitable. You say, well, why are you emphasizing this here at this end of this book? Because that's what chapter 20 is all about. Chapter 21 is all about even after the glorious resurrection and proof of his deity and power, Peter was able to walk away. You know, we're always in danger of doing the wrong thing. The Bible says, uh, let's be very careful. If any man thinks he stand, let him take heed lest he You see, anybody can wake up and walk away. Ah, you have to stay in the Word. You have to stay on your knees. You have to stay in the fellowship. You have to stay connected. You have to be with the other believers. You just, you got to be very careful. We need to be careful. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we're foolish. Sometimes we're just foolish. We forget our calling. Matthew 4, 19 was very clear to Peter. Peter, follow me. I'm not asking you to follow an idea. I'm not asking you to follow a philosophy. I'm not asking you to follow a movement. I'm asking you to follow me. And folks, that's always our call. Our call is to a person, not a place, not an idea, not a philosophy, not a movement. Our our call is to the person of Jesus Christ, according to the scriptures. Follow me. We forget our calling and then we do something else. And this is huge dangerous. We forget our companions. What? We forget our companions. Look at chapter 21, verse 2. Simon Peter taught, we we go through all of them. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Sadly, they said to him, we are going with you also. Herein lies a sometimes forgotten danger. You know, when we walk away, we never walk away alone. A father of a family decides he just fed up and he's had it. He's put, all, put in all he wants. Things aren't working the way that he thinks they should. He's been trying to serve the Lord and sometimes people aren't nice. Sometimes people don't appreciate it. So what's the use? I quit. I'm leaving. Guess who also walks away when the father walks away? Somebody that has been a discipler, somebody that has been serving and working and teaching and trying to be a servant in the church or serving among the brethren, they've been serving and discouragement comes and heartache comes and a problem happens and they get discouraged and look up and can't see Jesus. He, Jesus is supposed to be here. I can't find him. He's not anywhere. I quit. I'm walking away. I, I'm just backing away a little bit. I, but you never back away alone, Ever. Peter walked away, and so did the other six. They all went fishing. Hmm. There were seven in all. One said, I don't know what's happened with Jesus. He's not here. I'm just going to go fishing. Six others said, me too. 
You know our backsliding will always influence our family. And you know that our backsliding will always destroy our influence. And moral authority always diminishes with backsliding. Always. Something else we do is we forget the consequences of it. Verse number three. They went out, immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And he said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. Consequences. There's always consequences. The consequences of fruitfulness. The consequences of effectiveness. They're gone. They're just taken away when we walk away. The next thing we have to look at is this. We have to realize that in spite of walking away, in spite of doing what we've done, we are never forsaken. Never are we forsaken. Did you know that? Did you know that the Lord Jesus will never, ever, ever leave us or forsake us? How many of you, how many of you, let's be honest, don't raise your hand or anything. I just want you in your own heart, I want you to ask yourself a question. How many of you got to that moment of discouragement and you're ready to throw up your hands, throw in the towel or whatever, whatever metaphor you want to use, you're ready to just give it up, give in, give up, walk out, forget about it. But somehow somebody God sent or Jesus himself or some thought or some Bible verse, something came to you and he got a hold of your heart and you just couldn't completely walk away. Do you know why? Because Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. And he's never done with you. How many of you named the name of Jesus as your personal savior this morning? Raise your right hand. Those people with his right hand up are in the Lord's army. He's never going to leave his soldiers. He's never going to leave you. He doesn't. He never, ever, ever leaves us. You know what? Verse number five says, Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. You know, when Jesus is fishing with us, it's going to make all the difference in the world. We're never forsaken. Jesus finds us when we fail. He came, he showed up, he delayed long enough for them to reveal themselves to themselves. They needed him, but he finds us when we fail, and then he does something else. And I want you to look at verse number 9. Write it down. Jesus feeds us even when we are failing and frail, when we are weak. Look at verse number 9. It says, then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. So Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. I read about that and studied that a little bit. And from what I can gather, there were at that time 153 basic people groups on planet Earth. Ah, there's something for everybody in Jesus, isn't there? And although although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask of him. Do you know the very things that they were worried about and fretful about? I mean, just think about it. Picture the, picture the scenario. Peter and the other six get to Galilee. They're walking around on the beach. They have talks. They start a fire. They spend a night. They stay the night, get up the next day. Maybe they wander into some little town trying to find something to eat, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they don't see anything happening. And so they decide, well, we've got to do something to live. We've got to get by somehow. So the only thing I know how to do is go fishing. I'm just going to go 
back to what I used to be because it's what I know how to do. And there he went. But I just want you to know, going back to the old life we used to have is never going to make the supply. It's never going to be. It's never going to encourage us. It's never going to be to us what it was before because we don't belong to our old life anymore. The dead, the old man is dead and a new man has raised to life. Romans chapter six. We're not who we used to be. We're no longer under the nomination of sin and the flesh and the devil. No, no. We are servants of the most high God. We are never going to be satisfied with what life used to be. Only in Jesus will we ever be fulfilled and satisfied and only as he uses us. The great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission to build a great church. And we, we need to be the kind of people that are committed to following Jesus. The very things that they were fretful about and they were looking for, the very things they were fretful about and they were looking for, Jesus had cooking on the coals. Isn't that interesting? Have you caught any fish? Not a one. Well, throw the net on the other side of the boat. And they did. They caught so many they couldn't bring them in. And by the time, when they got up there, he already had, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all what? All these things will be added to you. In other words, don't worry, don't fret, don't, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough problems. Just follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, and I'll put the fish on the coals for you. Hmm. I can almost see these seven as they watch Jesus take the bread and break it in the fish and give it to them. Their minds would have gone back. Just think about that. Here they are on the shores of Galilee. Their minds would have gone back to the last time they saw him taking fish in his hands and breaking it and taking bread in his hands and giving it to him. How many people did they feed that time? 5,000 men and women. 5,000 men plus the women and the children. Their minds would have gone back to a time when the Lord could take care of them. You know, the Lord likes to find us and bring us back. It was on the sixth floor of John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore in about 1982. Jesus came to see me in a very real way because I was going to walk away from the ministry. And he came to see me and my wife, especially me, in the life of my little girl as she got so sick and we didn't know what was wrong with her. We took her to John Hopkins only to find out there was nothing wrong with her. And I knew exactly as I walked on that floor and saw all of the neurology kids with their heads stitched up like footballs and I saw all of that and I said I know what God's telling me I can't walk away from what God has called me to do 1990 in a little office room in our house in Lima Peru on Ayacucho Avenue I was sitting there and bombs were going off and I was calling my wife on the phone and if the phone would work and bombs were actually going off and I was just saying, what in the world am I doing here? I must have got this wrong. I quit. I'm leaving Peru. I'm going to go home. I'm going to find a job. And God visited me that day with a package that I'd forgotten to open with 365 encouragement letters, one for each day of the year from a church in Memphis. Several times at difficult moments when news was so bad that I was ready to do something else other than preach, Jesus came and fed me. He poured in the oil and the wine. He dished up just what I needed to keep going, to encourage my heart and to let me know that he knew all about it and he's still doing it today. And I'm here to tell you that you may fail and Jesus will feed you when you're failing and frail because Jesus cares about you and you're useful to Jesus. 
You are very, very useful to the Lord Jesus. He may, he, listen, everybody's a prototype. He doesn't make copies. Every single person on this planet is by divine design and every person that he has saved, he has a purpose for you and he wants you to just serve him, follow him, follow him, follow him, follow him. That's what he wants you to do, follow him. Finally, Jesus frees us to continue and follow even when we get sidetracked and stop serving. He frees us to continue and follow. He only had two instructions, and he only has two instructions for us. <laughs> I'm not going to go through and try to do some big theological deep dive into the three reasons and the three, th- three times that Jesus said, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my... I don't, I don't even want to go into all of that, but here's what I want to capitalize on. He says, here's what I really want. Here's what Jesus said. I want you to do two things. I want you to love me. And two, I want you to follow me. Love me and follow me. Peter, I want you to just love me. And what about this guy, John, over here? I mean, what's up with him? You just told me that I'm going to be stretched out when I get old. I understand. I'm going to be crucified like you were. What's going to happen to him? (laughs) Jesus said to him, basically, what's it to you? If I want him to live until I come back again, what different, listen, what I'm doing with John and what I'm doing for you, with you might be two different things, but all I want you to do, Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I want you to follow me. I will make you fishers of men. You know what God wants of every person here today? He wants you to love him and follow him. That's it. He said it twice, verse 19 and 21. He said, what, he said, what do you want me to do? Follow me. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Okay, I believe you do. Follow me. And let me put it in this kind of terminology. Love me, John 21, 15 to 17. Follow me again, John 21, 19 to 22. That's why I said it's really surprising who God chooses and uses. He chose the many times failing Jews. He chose the many times failing disciples. And he chooses the many times failing people of today. But he still chooses us. And he uses us. And he just asks one thing. Here it is. One thing with two parts. Love me. And follow me. Follow me. Not a movement. Not an ideology, not a philosophy, not a system. No, no. Follow me. Learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, effectiveness in life, and you will be filled up. And don't worry about anything because I can cook you fish and put them on the coals anytime you need them. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? The book of John started off with a call, follow me. It ends with a call. Follow me again. I just wonder if there are people in the room this morning that need to just, in their hearts, right where they sit, just say, Dear, dear Lord, you called me to yourself, and I believed on you, and I trusted you for salvation. I know I'm your child, but sometimes I walk at a distance. Sometimes I'm ashamed. Sometimes I'm just not what I ought to be. Sometimes I feel like giving up. Sometimes I feel like walking away. Sometimes, but Lord, you just, you're relentless and you just keep coming. And I hear you asking me, dear Lord, do you love me?
Do you love me? Do you love me? I just want to say in my heart, you can say it right where you sit. Jesus, I do love you. I believe that you're the divine son of God who came into the world for me. You took my sin upon yourself and you died on the cross to forever set me free from its penalty. And I'm headed to heaven because of you. And I love you, Jesus. And I do want to follow you unashamedly, close by your side, not at a distance. Our Father, I pray that you'd apply the sermon to our hearts the best way that you know how. And I pray, Father, that each person could just review in their hearts just where they are. Are they tempted to go back to who they used to be? Are there men who came to faith in Jesus, trusted him as their Savior, but the old life and the staying up all night and playing video games and the staying up and looking at pornography, the old life things are drawing them back. Oh, they have victory over those things. They're not their own. They've been bought with a price. Lord, help them to follow you again. Lord, help us to whatever, that, whatever draws us back, give us the strength to move ahead. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you so much for the book of John. Thank you for the seven signs that we saw, the 12 disciples that you chose, one of which was a betrayer. Lord, you used every person and every aspect of it for your kingdom's purposes. We heard your high priestly prayer in John 17. We saw the events of the Passion Week. We saw that you died, you were buried, and you rose again. We believe these things, and we rejoice that we serve a risen Savior, a returning Savior. But Lord, in the rough and tumble of everyday life, sometimes we get knocked down and beat up and discouraged, and sometimes we... Our passion is gone and we don't follow closely. Lord, please help us follow you closely again. Thank you for choosing us and using us. Help us now to serve you wholeheartedly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.